so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Gosh, <laughs> <laughs> what was that? That would be a fantastic opening. Was you, that a sneeze or was that the the killing of a yak? Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. As you can tell, I'm not the usual host because last week we bid farewell to our beloved former colleague, Josh Wester. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me in the studio, as always, as Josh always described him, is the ever-faithful Brent Leatherwood. Here I am. Here you are. Here I am. And I'm so glad. We're here together. And our listeners don't know that we are literally recording in the dark, except there's a giant window that's letting light in because there was a buzzing sound coming from the lights. So that's a new experience too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we just, we've just we we've just learned that the back end of our studio has uh, inexplicably flooded because of all the rain that we got here in Nashville yesterday. So. so stick with us. You're, you are sure to be in for an adventure on this new format for our podcast. We do appreciate you listening. We, stay tuned because we'll have different ideas and, and formats that we're going to throw around. But for now, we want to get started and talk about what the ERLC has been discussing this week. First up, as you have been watching unfold before your eyes, there has been an incredible humanitarian crisis happening in the country of Afghanistan. The people of Afghanistan have been invaded by the Taliban, which had been pushed back because of U.S. forces occupation there. But as we have withdrawn, the Taliban has resurfaced and come to the forefront and made life, is beginning to make life insufferable and scary for the people who are remaining there, especially women and children. So we wanted to put together a prayer guide. You may be wondering, how can I help? What can I do? But as the people of God, the thing that we first and foremost can do that is incredibly powerful is petition our powerful God on behalf of these people, and especially on behalf of the church there, our brothers and sisters there in Afghanistan. Our coworker, Jill Wagner, has put together a piece titled, A Prayer Guide for the People of Afghanistan. So as you are going throughout your day, I would just suggest that you pull this up on your phone, have it near you, and it gives you different prompts for the ways that you can pray for the people of Afghanistan, and it gives you different scripture references that you can turn to so that we can stand with them and identify with them in the midst of their suffering. What I love about uh, Jill's piece here, this prayer guide for Afghanistan, is— I mean, there's look, there's lots of ways we all need to be praying about this unfolding crisis in Afghanistan. Uh, but at the at the bottom is a reminder, one that my flesh rebels against, but 
Scripture says we absolutely must do this, and that is pray for the Taliban. And I think you know, there's probably a lot of people listening. There's a lot of people that are out there that say, no, th- those people are out there persecuting the church. They're, they're trying to drive Christians from the country. They are putting uh, women and girls and, and, and families into very vulnerable positions. And that is all absolutely true, and that is just even more so why we need to be praying for these people, that their hearts would turn uh, from their evil ways and that somehow the the remnant of the church that is remaining in Afghanistan will be what serves as the pathway uh, for these people to turn from their evil, uh, from their persecution. And as a reminder, many of many of these commands uh, to pray for those who persecute us came in the context of a Roman Empire that was chopping off the heads of Christ followers. And so, if if it made sense 2,000 years ago, as Jesus was commanding his followers to do this, uh, as, as, as his disciples were helping people to understand why this is such an important part of a Christian life, how much more so is it for, for those of us who know the good news of the gospel uh, and need to be following through on 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 everything uh, that Jesus gave to us. And so I this is a great, helpful guide. And at the bottom, again, if you're like me, if you're if you're a <laughs> fallen sinner like I am, you're gonna read through this, you're gonna get to the bottom. You're like, ah, uh, I, I think I'm gonna skip over that. Nope, don't do it. Pray as as we are praying for all of these other people that that desperately, need the the Lord to intervene and and be with them and comfort them in this 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 moment. Also pray for the Taliban and that somehow uh, God would would intervene in their own hearts. So yeah, this is a great piece. Well, preach it, Mr. Leatherwood. I uh, saw a tweet. I think it was Garrett Kell who had the tweet and said, um, may there be an, a Saul in the midst of those members of the Taliban. Just mm. like Paul, and Gosh, also yes. it's it's good to remember the Bible tells us we were enemies of God. Mm. Uh, we were enemies of God until God opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Mm. So yes, yeah. may it be, and uh, may the Lord use the our brothers and sisters' witness over there. I'm going to couple the last two pieces together, and then we'll have you talk about them, Brent. But this first piece, we wanted to make you aware of a religious liberty victory in Indianapolis. So Jordan Wooten, our colleague, wrote an explainer about a federal court ruling in favor of religious freedom rights of an Indiana Catholic high school. And the the basic bones of what this piece is about, a case was brought against um, a Catholic high school and the Archdiocese of Indianapolis for discrimination. This person was a co Got director of guidance at the high school, and she was in and intended to remain in a same-sex marriage. And this was in violation. This is in violation of Catholic teaching, and this was in violation of her contract. But this federal court in Indiana ruled in favor of the Indianapolis Archdiocese and upholded its right to, quote, provide students and families with an authentic Catholic education. And this ruling— 
was based upon an important legal doctrine, the ministerial exception. And I just wanted to clarify what this is for y'all. The ministerial exception is a constitutional protection that bars the government from applying employment discrimination laws to religious organizations. The ERLC has weighed in on this uh, in another case from June of 2020. And this is just another reminder that in the midst of our culture that just seems to be going crazy in my mind, um, there are religious liberty victories that we can look to a country like Afghanistan and realize that in America, we still have so many freedoms that we can be thankful for. And we're thankful to be able to advocate for those on the behalf of Christians. And then I wanted to bring up the next article and the final article by Leanne Porch. She's actually one of our interns. And the title of this article is What First Peter Can Teach Us About Living in a Hostile World, Justice, Love, and Submission to Authority. And this goes along with the other articles because you see a country like Afghanistan where there is not religious freedom. You hear about a challenge to a a Catholic school's religious liberty, and you realize that we— should care about justice as believers and about injustices. And we're also called to respect our civil government and laws. And yet there are times when these things fight against each other. And there is this this weird dichotomy that we are living in the midst of. And so what do we do when we have a passion for justice and and this biblical call to submission to our authorities and those things don't add up. And Leanne draws from 1 Peter chapter 2 to give us a framework for what it looks like to live as she says, a servant of God in the midst of our culture. And uh, some of the principles she pulls out, and you can go on and read about them, are honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And she shows us how we can apply that to the, the current situation that we find ourselves in and how Christians can be salt and light in the midst of our world. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the uh, June 2020 decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, it was in the case of uh, Our Lady of the Guadalupe School, and that is the case that we touted last summer uh, in in 2020 because the U.S. Supreme Court actually cited our brief uh, for their uh, upholding of the ministerial exception, and that is such an important uh, legal doctrine, uh, especially for for our churches because essentially it just – it prevents the government and courts – from weighing in on on personnel and hiring decisions within uh, churches and and other religious institutions. This is just a – it is a strong uh, legal doctrine. It protects churches. It allows churches to operate consistent with the gospel uh, convictions that we have. And um, it is more evidence – this case, the the holding in this case is is more evidence that – Religious liberty right now in uh, American legal jurisprudence is at a very strong point. In fact, some legal analysts say that religious liberty protections right now are at their strongest point in the history of our republic. So uh, there's there's a lot of noise out there uh, that would tell you otherwise. And that's not to minimize the challenges out there for religious liberty that do exist – 
But as far as our courts go and the holdings of our courts, they are pretty adamant in protecting religious liberty. And that, that's, that's, that should be good news for those of us uh, who are Americans that care about religious liberty. And you're right, that does pair well uh, with the other piece uh, that we have from Leanne that just talks about uh, how we can – in our society, we we have these protections, and at the same time, we should submit uh, to uh, our, our local authorities, and and we should uh, pray for them. Uh, that that is certainly something that we can do in good conscience as Christians and as American citizens, and we should model that for our fellow citizens. Right, and there are exceptions to that where the laws would uh, lead us to sin, like as in abortion. So there are exceptions to that that we know from Scripture where those laws would lead us to sin. As Christians, we can respectfully disagree. And so an example of that would be abortion. We know that that is sin, that is murder. We are going, that's why we work on behalf of these precious lives to be able to legislate uh, in order for their lives to be protected. Right, we should not do. We should not participate in anything that causes us to violate our own consciences. That that's absolutely that admonition is is very important to keep in mind. Right, and God's word, most specifically, should be forming those consciences. Uh, but by and large, so a lot of these laws, some of these laws um, that don't have to do with sinning, according to God's word, are things that might be preferences. And as believers, we are called to be in submission to these authorities. As Romans 13 says, these civil authorities have been given for our good, by and large. And we know that the Lord is sovereign over them. So it's it's tricky. And and as our as Brent noted earlier, it's our flesh works against us in so many of these ways. But we want to be a people who Philippians 2 says, shine like the stars in the midst of this dark culture so that we can glorify our God. That's absolutely right, Lindsay. And, you know, as we navigate a very complex world right now with big problems, uh, may the Lord give us uh, grace and wisdom to just process all this and act in a way that honors Him and His name. Thanks for that, Brent. That's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. And now, Brent, we want to move into looking at what's happening in our culture this week. So what's going on? Well, as you said, Af- Afghanistan has certainly been at the the top of the, the news cycle this week because just to remind folks how we got here. So just by way of reminder, just a uh, quick overview of, of how we got to this point. Obviously, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It was determined uh, by the intelligence community, uh, President Bush's administration, that al-Qaeda was responsible for 9-11. Al-Qaeda was housed in Afghanistan by the Taliban government, which was in power at that point. Uh, We went over to Afghanistan, intervened militarily in Afghanistan, and took out the ruling Taliban uh, powers. In doing so, we also uh, went after the leadership of al-Qaeda. That has largely been the case uh, for the last 18 years. Then the Trump administration uh, under former President Donald Trump sought to work out an agreement, uh, essentially a peace deal uh, with the Taliban uh, that was out of power but was certainly threatening Uh, different regions within uh, Afghanistan. And they did agree to a U.S. military withdrawal for May 1st, 2021. This was announced towards the end of the the Trump administration. 
Uh, we held the 2020 election. Uh, Joe Biden was elected president. His new administration comes into power. Uh, they have been very adamant about keeping the withdrawal uh, in place, the plans for withdrawal. However, they they bumped it back to uh, September 1st of this year. As we have gotten close to that, President Biden and the administration has they made the determination to go ahead and start pulling out troops. That vacuum allowed the Taliban to sweep across uh, the nation of Afghanistan and come back into power. And that takes us to this first story that we're going to highlight today from CBS News. And it states, CBS News correspondent Roxana Saberi reported that the chaos of the last couple days was continuing outside Kabul's international airport as Afghans tried desperately to flee their country. The country's new Taliban rulers have urged Afghans not to come to the airport unless they have valid travel documents and they've used violence to deter the crowds gathered outside the facility. Inside the perimeter fence, Hamid Karzai International Airport is controlled by U.S. forces. But to get that far, even those who hold passports and an invite for evacuation must first get through checkpoint after checkpoint manned by Taliban fighters who have been firing rifles and beating people back. Inside, thousands of U.S. troops and walls of barbed wire keeping order and military and civilian evacuation flights taking off with runways clear of civilians. Um, so, as I was saying, this uh, this withdrawal of troops has created this vacuum. There are a number of refugees, uh, civilians within Afghanistan who, who want to desperately get out of the country uh, with no U.S. Uh, troop presence and, and – the protection that they bring now in country. There are, uh, just a couple weeks ago, we only had a, a fighting force of 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. That number has now swelled to over 6,000 uh, to try and just secure the international airport in, in Kabul. And there are still a number of Americans uh, that are fleeing and, and trying to get to the airport itself. But again, they're having to go through these Taliban checkpoints which are uh, very arduous and dangerous, to say the least. And um, we, uh, this gets to the next story uh, from uh, Baptist Press, we at the RLC, as well as other uh, religious groups, have urged in a formal letter to President Biden to protect and resettle at-risk Afghans and other refugees from Afghanistan and that story is this, the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and other evangelical Christian organizations urge President Biden on Tuesday to fulfill a longstanding commitment to protect and resettle America's Afghan allies, as well as others at risk of persecution by the Taliban. And this is from the letter. Despite the deteriorating situation, it is of utmost moral urgency that the U.S. government keeps our commitment made often during the last 20 years and affirmed by Biden, uh, said the letter. It continues, as Christians, we believe that each person is made with intrinsic value in the image of God, and we cannot treat any person's life as expendable. Our government has a particular obligation to those who are now facing threats upon their lives due to their service to the United States, and to go back on our commitment to them would be a moral failing with reverberating consequences for decades to come. So this is is kind of the 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 latest look uh, at Afghanistan. It is a very fluid situation there, and it is uh, 
It is a dangerous one for those in and around the airport and the city of Kabul itself. It is a tragic situation, Brent, and I am so glad that Jill put together that prayer guide for us to know what to do, that Chelsea has written this piece about the ERLC advocating for priority to refugee status for these precious souls who are fleeing for their lives. And um, she also has, Chelsea has recommended that we pray as well. She's recommended that we can get involved by volunteering and also by advocating, being able to call our local congressperson and senators. So you can find that on our website, that article on our website at erlc.com. This situation and the plight of the refugees there being forced to leave their country just reminds me that America is a country of refugees. I mean, it started that way with with, uh, people coming and fleeing religious persecution and finding a new land to be able to live and worship freely. And it would just be ashamed if, as the world's superpower, if uh, we did not open our doors in a safe way in a um, controlled way, but in a compassionate way to those who really, whose lives we have stirred up by um, withdrawing in a way that was just not, as it seems, planned out very well. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of criticism uh, to go around. There's no doubt about it. And just see the images on TV, some of them just absolutely heartbreaking to know that, uh, we need to, we need, as we stated earlier, we need to be praying uh, for Afghanistan. I also just want to say that it, it makes me thankful for the servicemen and women who have, of multiple countries, but especially here of our country in the United States, who spent time over there, who served there, who fought for the stability uh, of the Afghan people, who gave their lives. And um, that included, I mean, my dad served over there. He was he was over there in the Middle East for a while. And so we're thankful and it's got to be disappointing for them to not have a posture of of gratitude and of seeing this through when they have spent so much of their time and in some cases their lives on this this project to be able to to help the country of Afghanistan. The other big story uh, from the the last week dominating news, particularly in the international sphere, is a gigantic earthquake uh, that hit the country of Haiti. I mean, you you just spoke. A moment ago about compassion, Lord, uh, compassion is needed uh, for for Haiti. And uh, Max Lucado uh, described it this week. He posted a video about praying in this moment where seemingly larger-than-life events are happening. And he said, we need to be praying for, for Haiti, this great gathering of people there. And I just, I've never heard a country uh, described like that, and I thought it was very appropriate. But on Saturday, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake uh, struck Haiti, uh, and the death toll has now topped over 2,000 souls that have been lost. And so this next story comes to us from Axios. The prime minister there said that Haiti is now on its knees. Uh, The earthquake struck the country as it continues to reel from last month's assassination of President Moise, the coronavirus pandemic, extreme poverty, and worsening violence. And uh, our audience may remember 
Uh, a 7.0 earthquake struck just back in 2010, and it devastated the country, and it's still picking up the pieces from that. Government officials and the United Nations estimate that about half of the nearly 800,000 people affected by the earthquake are in need of humanitarian assistance. Assistance has been slowed, however, due to the weather, and as the UN and government authorities negotiate with gangs who control roads and other areas in and around the affected cities and towns. Um, so I just remember when I woke up and, and heard the news about Haiti, I was just like, Lord, how, how much more can this particular nation uh, take? It, it just seems like Haiti is continually reeling from disastrous event after disastrous event. It is so sad and hard to imagine what it's like to get walloped again and again like that. I mean, we we know just in a little, little measure with some of the things that we are dealing with here in our own country, but especially in a country too that's not as developed and doesn't have some of the structures and the programs to be able to support uh, its citizens and, and to be sustained and withstand some of that well, a 7.2 earthquake, some of that just damage. It makes me thankful for humanitarian organizations and nonprofits and, and Christian organizations that are serving, but especially a Southern Baptist, Send Relief, uh, our um, aid organization that is mobilizing, that you can give to, that's going to serve the people in Haiti and, and other people during various disasters. But it's amazing that we can be a part of something like the cooperative program and be able to pool our money together and serve people all over the world when they're hit by disasters like this, be able to give to them out of the immense wealth that we have here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We are so thankful uh, for our partners at Sudden Relief uh, who do great work across the country and across the globe, and it is certainly needed in Haiti right now. Uh, turning our gaze to here at home, uh, the coronavirus, uh, particularly the Delta variant, is just coursing through the nation right now. Um, hospitals in many locations, ICU beds are completely full. Doctors are, and medical professionals are once again um, exhausted. And much of our infrastructure, our medical infrastructure, is also exhausted. Um, so with that news uh, comes this uh, from, from CBS News. Federal health officials said Wednesday that vaccinated Americans will need to get booster shots eight months after receiving their second dose of a COVID-19 vaccine to maximize its protection against the virus and extend its durability. The nation's leading public health and medical experts from the Department of Health and Human Services announced in a joint statement that the Biden administration is prepared to begin offering the boosters the week of September 20th and starting eight months after Americans received their second doses of Pfizer and Moderna's two-shot vaccines. So, Lindsay, you've been on the case of, of corona uh, since since the beginning. Uh, how does does this news that a booster shot uh, will, will probably be in our somewhat near future. Uh, how does that land with you? Well, the first thing that it reminds me of is the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't even have vaccines developed. There was panic and fear and uh, people waiting and wait. Then when the vaccines were developed and people were waiting in line and people were dressing up like older people to be able to, to get the vaccines. And, and uh, I was frantically looking at when I could get in 
and then finally got to get the vaccine. And my whole point in saying all that is that these boosters will be no big deal to be able to get. I had something come through, I think from Walgreens that just said, if you qualify, then you just make an appointment, come in and and get your booster shot. So in that sense, it makes me so grateful that we've caught up to be able to, for our supply of vaccines, we have these amazing vaccines that are developed that are, are by and large safe and we can go in and get another shot. So when we didn't even know when we were going to be able to do that at the beginning. So I'm very thankful for the ability to do that and that it will protect our immunocompromised neighbors and those who had gotten their shots earlier on before this, this variant. I was watching a a news segment the other day with a medical professional on on one of the networks. I forget which one. And they were asking, you know, do Americans need to be prepared? Is this is this kind of going to more or less be like the flu vaccine where we get it every year? Or is this like a, a booster that we're, you know, needed to help our systems power through this current moment with the Delta variant? And the medical experts said, well, honestly, I don't know. There's a chance it could be a yearly thing. I, I, I think most medical analysts out there are anticipating that COVID is going to be with us now. But this medical expert said it, it, it could be like some of the um, schedule of boosters that you get when you're younger, uh, where you need three or four. Uh, but then once you get those, you're, you're pretty much well set for the rest of your life. And she said it, it could take that trajectory as well. Um this is from that that same CBS News story. The, the reason that we're talking about boosters comes from one of these health officials. In association with the dominance of the Delta variant, we are starting to see evidence of reduced protection against mild and moderate disease. And so that's the, the rationale uh, for, for getting the boosters. Now, with that, and actually uh, not just the Delta variant, but with school starting, the debate over masks has also returned. And, and yes, I... You know, I thought maybe we were past this, uh, but un- unfortunately, with uh, the rise of the the Delta variant, we're not. So this story comes to us from the Associated Press, and it says, in an escalating battle with Republican governors, President Joe Biden on Wednesday ordered his education secretary to explore possible legal action against states that have blocked school mask mandates and other public health measures meant to protect students against COVID-19. In response, the Education Department raised the possibility of using its civil rights arm to fight policies in Florida, Texas, Iowa, and other Republican-led states that have barred public schools from requiring masks in the classroom. So the school is here for the most of the country, uh, and over the next couple of weeks, it will be here for, for all districts within the country. This just seems to be a bone of contention that isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah, I would be interested to know your perspective, Brent, with your political background, what you think about this move by the Biden administration. The only thing that I have to add um, with not much expertise in the political area is more of a heart issue for believers that this is, this issue has just become, we've talked about it over and over again. It's become so politicized. It isn't even about our neighbors anymore. It's about our own rights. And so I just would encourage myself and other believers to embrace an attitude of humility about the whole situation because it's constantly moving. We're learning. This is not like 
we've had the flu around for a hundred years. You know, we're learning constantly. There's data coming in. There are new variants that change the game. So have some humility, have compassion, have kindness as you're talking to other people because we can all get heated about it. Try to turn, ask the Lord to help you turn from self-righteousness, which I need help doing. Um, And try to make the best decision you can after praying about it and talking to those with other expertise, like medical expertise, and try to make the best decision that you can for yourself and for your family and for your neighbors. Yeah, I, you know, I honestly, I don't have a hardened opinion one way or the other on mask mandates or efforts against mask mandates uh, as it relates to to schools. I can only, let me personalize it with this. Our own school, the principal in our school uh, noted that, uh, that that we are going to move forward uh, with asking teachers and, and students uh, to, to wear a mask. In the, in the classroom, the, the teachers actually, they use a, a visor, a face shield so that the students can actually see uh, the teacher's facial expressions and, and talk to them, which I do think is important for the development of children. But one of the places I landed for our own school was, hey, if having the students wear a mask means that they will have in-person learning throughout the year, like, I, I'm okay with that because I want I want my kids to be in the classroom. We have younger children, uh, and in particular, our two youngest, like the, the Zoom experiences, that's just not education. <laughs> um, and so that that's that's just kind of where it came down in in our local context. Um, do I want them in masks? No, I don't. I don't want them in masks. I, I don't want myself in a mask. Yeah, I don't. I don't want myself in a mask. Right? I, it, it's it's inconvenient. I think I've lost the one that I I just bought the other day already. Uh, you know, I those I want to move past this season as quickly as possible. It would seem to me that the the two ways to get to that uh, preferred conclusion quicker is get vaccinated and wear a mask a- until everybody gets vaccinated. Because we are seeing these cases, I mean, we pointed it out last night within our team, uh, the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, he just tested positive and he's he's fully vaccinated. And, and so I mean, you are hearing more and more of these kind of breakthrough cases out there. Um, so, Gosh, I just want this season uh, to to be over, and I, I want my kids to be safe, and I want them to be in the classroom learning because that's that's where they excel. And that's what we did learn from the last year is that kids need to learn. They need to, by and large, be in the classroom learning. I mean, they don't have to be. There are plenty of children in that homeschool, and but it for a lot of children, it is the difference between depression and functioning well. And so uh, I think the other thing we forget is that this isn't going to last forever, thankfully. And then number two, kids are more resilient than we give them credit for. So there are children that have legitimate issues and, and need to not be wearing a mask because of health concerns or speech delays or something like that. And a doctor will be able to help people think through that. But by and large, kids are just adaptable, much more so than us adults who just get downright cranky. So our kids are going to be fine, by and large, and I'm very thankful for that. Okay, this last story comes to us uh, from Texas, and it was covered by Axios, and it has to do with an appeals court ruling on abortion. The ruling in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals marks the first time a U.S. federal court has upheld a ban on dilation and evacuation, the standard method of abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. 
The ban is expected to be challenged in the Supreme Court, per the Texas Tribune. Texas would be the first state in the U.S. to impose such a ban on the DNA method if it is permitted to proceed. So what we had here was a ban in the state of Texas on this method uh, that is used in second trimester abortions. It was appealed to uh, the three-judge appeals court, and then it was appealed again. So we have here what is called an en banc uh, opinion from uh, the appeals court that covers Texas and Louisiana, and that court overruled the three-judge panel and said that Texas uh, may proceed with banning this procedure. Uh, and and for those of us uh, who are in the, the pro-life space, this is a pretty significant ruling. Uh, it, it very likely is going to be appealed to the Supreme Court. It will be interesting to see um, because the, the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, which we have covered before, is already uh, covering some of, of this ground. This is about a particular method. That case, as a reminder, is about uh, Mississippi being able to regulate uh, abortion after 15 weeks. So it's just the timing of this, it, it, it seems to me that, that we are getting closer and closer to a moment where the Supreme Court could potentially overrule Casey and overrule the Roe versus Wade decision and return abortion, the decision about abortion and how to regulate it back to the states. Uh, that, it's a very interesting legal moment and uh, moment for life uh, that seems to be approaching. And so I have a question as to why this particular ruling, so it bans a specific type of abortion procedure. Right. This this is about this particular method that's being used. Right. So why would this be an indication that we could potentially be getting closer to the overturning of Roe v. Wade? So it's, it's basically you have these different laws around the country that have been passed by various state legislatures that are chiseling away at abortion in different trimesters. And so this one is going into a method, a specific method that is generally utilized after 15 weeks uh, of pregnancy. And, and so that makes this a, a particularly novel case. So it's, it's not saying, you know, all abortion. It's just saying this particular method. Uh, and that's, that's what is interesting. Mississippi, the case out of Mississippi, the Dobbs case, that is challenging abortion after 15 weeks. And so it's, it's broader in scope. These laws and regulations, they're being challenged, and in some cases they're being upheld, and in some cases they're being struck down. And that's the ingredients that you need for an ultimate appeal to the Supreme Court. When there is a split circuit opinion, the Circuit Court of Appeals, and we have different circuits around the nation – when there is a split decision, so one wants to uphold something, one wants to strike it down, that makes the Supreme Court more likely to say, you know what, there's a difference of opinion here. We need to resolve this. And um, that's why I'm saying it, it just seems like we are getting close to a moment uh, for, for at least the first time in a generation where Roe, uh, the Roe versus Wade infrastructure for abortion could conceivably be struck down. 
which is extremely good news, and we pray that the Lord would make it so. And your examples that you're using in this particular news story just reminds me of the piece that Josh Wester wrote about an incrementalist approach to ending abortion and why the approach of just chipping away at these different abortion laws, while it doesn't remove abortion completely, which is what we would all want to happen, why that is so important to to save a life here, save a life here, save a life here until eventually, uh, Lord willing, we are able to save all of these lives that would be lost to the horror of abortion. That's right. Uh, we're, as, uh, as our colleague Elizabeth Graham uh, likes to say, uh, we we are going to keep appealing to consciences out there, consciences of of our our fellow citizens, but also the consciences of our policymakers out there, uh, till we get to a point where uh, abortion is just made unthinkable. And that's exactly why we're going to keep doing what we do here at the RLC. So, anyways, Lindsay, that's your look at this week in culture. There's no more jobs to say. It feels like it's missing something. (laughs) So, Lindsay and all of our audience, that's your look at This Week in Culture. Thanks so much, Brent. And, you know, we didn't laugh much during that segment. That's because it just feels like such a heavy time in the world. So much suffering going on around us. But we as Christians are the people who uh, should be equipped better than anyone to know how to respond in the midst of suffering. We can respond with the hope of the gospel because we have a suffering Savior who is ultimately um, victorious and has promised an end to all of this suffering. So thank you for that rundown. And now it's time for The Lunchroom, where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. Brent, you're up first because, well— just the two of us in the lunchroom today. and I'm, Just the two just of us. Just the two of us. And I'm hoping you can bring a little levity to what was a heavy news week. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to bring levity, but uh, if you put it that way, it makes me think I need to not share what I was going to share in my lunchroom. Well, uh, then go ahead and share what you were going to share, and we so, just won't be lighthearted. So— my wife, she's been reading a book about Chernobyl. Oh, that is not. That is just, oh, man, Brent, kick us while we're down. So, so she's been reading a book about Chernobyl, and we decided to watch the the series that came out, I think it was two years ago, uh, on HBO about Chernobyl and what happened there. And, oh, my gosh, it's, it's fascinating. And I don't even know how they made it look so authentic uh with with what with everything from the you know the control rooms within the nuclear reactor in Chernobyl and just uh, the toll uh that that nuclear reactor meltdown took on the local populace so yeah that's we we've what it's a it's a five part mini series uh each of the the segments are about an hour and and so you can knock it out fairly quickly and uh it reminds you of the total disrespect uh for the citizens that used to be a part of Soviet Russia uh and and how that awful communist regime just used to control everything information that used to manipulate lives there was no understanding of individual autonomy and human dignity in the USSR and um it does put the spotlight on the 
the one scientist, uh, when they were having the kind of show trials of, of the individuals responsible, it does put the spotlight on the one scientist who, who stood up and said, no, the, the reason that this happened is because of the lies that are prevalent within our society. And so it was a just a fascinating documentary, but uh, yeah, I don't know if that's lighthearted uh, yeah. to, to talk about a nuclear reactor meltdown. <laughs> and, and immense suffering that took place after that. Yeah. Not the lightheartedness I was looking for in today's lunchroom, but reality nonetheless, and and something that many people lived through nonetheless. We yeah. have been looking at that and possibly watching it. I d- highly recommend. Highly okay. re- it's, it is, it's pretty... Yeah, tense and, and dramatic. Is it tough to watch? Yeah. Well, I mean, t- tough to watch in the sense of there was a, a lot of suffering and, um, you know, we, we know how it turned out for many of those people. But uh, it is – it's informative and um, people talk about it, – it's become just like a trope. Right? Like, oh, you're a, you're a communist. Uh, no, this this was actually a communist society and look at what happened there and the fallout – uh, literally and figuratively from that. So it's a good lesson in history. Yeah, we will have to check that out. I'll start off with a little story and then give you a resource. Hopefully this story adds a little bit more uh, lightheartedness. So basically it's just bragging on my husband. So husbands and or boyfriends can take a few um, few pointers here. So he surprised me on Sunday and had my mom come over to watch the kiddos. So shout out to the mom and took me to the mall because I've been talking about how I feel like I'm not very stylish and feel frumpy in my clothes, which uh, Megan is probably laughing. Megan Mayo is laughing right now. She is, she's, she likes to be stylish and she is stylish and is good at shopping. I am not good at shopping. And after having small kids, I can't make the decisions. And so he took me to the mall for about four hours which is kind of my nightmare. And we went shopping and we were laughing the whole time because I was like, what husband takes their wife shopping? And he was going around picking out clothes for me to try on, which was so kind. But then I was saying either, no, that is too expensive. And he was trying to get me to try things on that I thought were too expensive. Or by the end of it, I was like, please, please don't make me try on any more clothes. I'm too tired. Please don't make me go to another store. I'm like, what wife says, that's too expensive. I can't get it. Or please don't make me try on more clothes. Or please don't make me go shopping for another 30 minutes. (laughs) By the end of it, he's like, you can do it. I have a deal for you. Two more stores, two more stores, and we can do it. And I was literally complaining by the end. So, but that was very kind of him and very thoughtful as a husband. So, yeah. So, Brent, maybe you could do that for Meredith sometime if she uh, if she would like that. And yes. then... Yes. <laughs> kind of. The only thing, I'm not going to comment on your fashion and, and wardrobe <laughs> yeah, uh, choices, but I, I'm just going to say kindness... <laughs> Kindness should be all, always present, ever present within within marriages. Yes, it's an example of cherishing your wife. I think Absolutely. there was a book recently written about that. But the other thing that I wanted to mention is this book that I am reading through Libby, and it's called This Tender Land. And I heard about it on Twitter from Barnabas Piper, who recommends a lot of great books. It's a it's a fiction book by William Kent Kruger. And some of the blurbs about it say, if you liked Where the Crawdads Sing, you'll love this tender land. The story's as big-hearted as they come. And it's described as an unforgettable story of four orphans who travel the Mississippi River on a life-changing odyssey during the Great Depression. And so far, it has been really great writing and a really 
interesting book. Uh, there's a little bit of language in there, but it's it's kind of just been a delightful little book to read. So if you're looking to to escape a little bit, which I don't I don't necessarily advocate, but I I do myself <laughs> because. Sometimes the world just feels too hard. Um, this book is one that you'll want to check out. And what is Libby? Oh, Libby is the library app where you can check out books, uh, read ebooks, or listen to audiobooks for free. You, they don't have everything, and you have to wait in line sometimes, but so much better than right. paying for an Audible subscription, in my opinion. Right, and it connects with your local library. It connects with your local library. Right. So yeah. it if you live in a county here in Nashville that doesn't have as many uh, books like myself, then you're stuck. But if you live in Davidson County and you get the actual Nashville Library Public System, is amazing. Yeah. So. Well, no, that was. I just wanted to make sure that our audience knew what Libby was. Are you a part of Libby? I am, but mm-hmm. <laughs> if people don't know about it, they might have assumed that you just borrowed it from your friend named Libby. No, I, I don't even think I have a friend named Libby, actually. I have a friend named Libby. You do? I do. Oh, I, I don't, don't borrow books from her. No, you don't. But. Well, and listeners should know that Papa Brent and Meemaw Meredith at nighttime, that's what they do. They sit and they read books. And they're, I don't know if you have matching lounge chairs or whatever, but they're prolific readers. Well, considering that we were in bed last night at 840, <laughs> reading books. Sounds like a dream <laughs> yeah. come true. But. So we put the kids to bed and it was the first night before the first day of school. And we just said, you know what? We're going to. We're going to get the school year started off right. We're all going to bed early. Do you sip your hot tea and read your books? And do you have your, like, compression hose on? (laughs) 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 And and chew on your peppermints? Is that something you do before? before well, the you older, go to the, bed? my older friends at church would always pull peppermints out of their pocket and give them to me. I feel like that's a staple of an older man <laughs> and woman, maybe. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Yes. Yeah, I and dig- we have digressed. We've digressed actually to a great uh, conclusion for this, <laughs> yes. for this episode. Of we the have digressed. Podcast. Well, uh, Just a reminder that you can find the links to all of these things that we talked about today in our show notes. And if you like the podcast, especially with just two hosts now, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. And as always, we will be back next week with more content. 